Father, as we have this opportunity to read your word, I pray that our hearts and our minds will be opened. Lord, help us to come to a deeper understanding of the sacrifice that you made uh, in this Lenten season and to be reminded each day of what, what that has done for each of us and also what that has done for all of creation, the promise of all things being made new. Bless the reading of your word this morning and the preaching as well. In the name of your Son and by the power of your Spirit, amen. We're reading from Mark chapter 11, the triumphal entry. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Thus far the reading of the word. King is coming. It's an interesting idea, one that, that we, we have a little bit of familiarity with in, in the Canadian culture here, a, an expectation and an excitement. If, if royalty is coming to visit, we hear about it through all forms of media. We, we see the hoopla that builds up. Uh, I, I know when, when the uh, uh, Dutch king and queen came to visit, uh, a few of our members went to go see them and had an audience with the Dutch king and queen and got to have a picture taken. And, and there's excitement and there's, there's all sorts of, of formality gathered around it. And, and the idea is, is with it to, to honor who this person is and their role of leadership, but it also has with it a whole bunch of history and tradition. In this text, what we're encountering is a very different form of kingship and a very different form of tradition than what was seen in the powers around the people of Israel. And they were used to a, a Roman government that had all sorts of pomp and circumstance with its officials and, and all sorts of military might that would parade along with the high officials and they would have seen all of that power, all of that authority being exercised in a way that it puts any dissenters off to the side, that it marginalizes people who are not part of that royal class, who don't belong, who don't have the proper citizenship and the proper access. But this story, this king, 
is vastly different. The text we read is just a short part of a much longer story, something that's been unfolding for a few days already in the lives of Jesus and his disciples. It really begins back in a chapter and a half a few days earlier while they were, they were walking together and Jesus is in Judea, way up north. And he's up there with with a bunch of others uh, of his disciples. He's been doing miracles. He's been casting out demons. And he turns to his disciples and said, we're heading to Jerusalem. And if you read the text, when he says that, his disciples go along with him, and it says the crowds around him, the rest of them, were afraid. They knew what it meant. If, if Jesus, this miracle worker, goes to Jerusalem, everything's going to blow up everything's going to fall apart. They're, they're going to kill him. And in fact, Jesus goes on to pull his disciples aside as they're walking, and he says to them, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. The beginning of this story is, is one of a, a king who's making himself known, but a king who knows that it is his death that is approaching. It's in that context that we begin to encounter a little bit more of this story. And and today we're going we're gonna to talk just a little bit about Blind Bartimaeus. Blind Bartimaeus is a story right before the text that Nathan read. And it sets the stage, it answers the question as they, there's the beginning of this text, was as they were on their way. As they, the they refers to Blind Bartimaeus and the crowd that he joined just before this text. And then we'll talk a little bit in this text about that phrase, Hosanna. And what that means, we'll unpack it a little bit, and then we'll reflect on that last verse of Jesus entering the temple and how everything will change. So what blind Bartimaeus saw? Blind Bartimaeus was a, a beggar who was sitting alongside the road as, as Jesus is traveling with a crowd. And the way the crowd is described, it's Jesus and his disciples together with a very large crowd. This large crowd, they're traveling from Judea they're traveling all the way down, coming along to, uh, to Jericho, and then making a turn to head towards Jerusalem. It was the route they followed to avoid going through Samaria. And it was, it was specifically a large crowd because it was the time for the festival. Three times a year, large crowds of people from all over Israel would travel to Jerusalem for these feasts and, and this celebration and offerings. And this one... This one was one you didn't dare miss. It says, as they were leaving Jericho to head to Jerusalem, blind Bartimaeus starts to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the crowd, the crowd who's walking along with Jesus, tell him to be quiet. And we might think at first read that they're saying be quiet because... because kind of a nuisance. Who is this guy? Who does he think he is that, that he can just talk to Jesus the way he's doing? It's much more profound than that. Bartimaeus is, is one of the first people to actually see Jesus for who he is. Even though he's the blind man in the story, he recognizes that Jesus is the son of David. That title, Son of David, was a, a kingly title, and it was reserved for the Messiah. 
the one who God had been promising all along through all the prophets, all the way back to Moses, that someday the Messiah will come and make things new. The Messiah will come and set things right. And the Messiah will be a son of David. And that title, the son of David, is reserved for the Messiah. So when the crowd hears, when the crowd around Jesus hears this blind man, and in that culture, if you were a blind man and a beggar, it was very obvious to everybody. Everybody knew you must have sinned somewhere in your life. You were unrighteous and unholy, and you had no access to religious things. That crowd hears this man who sits off to the side who has no place speaking the name of the son of David. And that crowd hears that and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Who are you to make the pronouncement that the Messiah is here? That's not your place. You don't have the training to deduce that and to, to come to that conclusion. Be quiet. Bartimaeus saw it. Bartimaeus saw that Jesus was the son of David and had cried out. And Jesus, instead of, instead of rebuking him, instead of silencing him, as Jesus does with all sorts of cases along the way, when, when the demons, number of times, Jesus casts out a demon, and their first response is, we know you are the son of God, and he tells them, be quiet. Don't tell anyone. It's not time. But here, Bartimaeus says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus doesn't deny it. And he doesn't tell him to be quiet. Instead, he silences the whole crowd by saying, go get him. Bring, bring Bartimaeus over here. Bartimaeus, what do you want? I want to see Jesus says, your faith has made you well and heals him. And Bartimaeus, it says, joins the crowd. And it's a really important thing to recognize that Bartimaeus is joining this crowd that's going to Jerusalem because just a couple days ago when they were leaving uh, up north and they're heading down, that crowd is afraid of what's going to happen. That crowd is fearful. And now you have walking with them the blind who is seeing. He's walking in their midst. He is evidence of another promise that the Messiah is coming. And it adds to the weight. Not only did Bartimaeus call him the son of David, and Jesus embraced the title, Jesus acted like the son of David because he made the blind see. And that blind man is right there with them. And we feel a transition happening in the crowd from one of fear to one of excitement. Uh, the question starts to fly through the crowd. Maybe, could it be, is he the one? There's an invitation for us. There's an invitation at this point, just in those first few words of the text, as they start to head to Jerusalem an invitation for all of us to join the crowd just like Bartimaeus does and to journey with Jesus towards Jerusalem and and that is what this Palm Sunday is about this Palm Sunday is an invitation to enter this story 
to join in with Bartimaeus in this crowd and, and to start walking towards Jerusalem with others to watch what's going to happen to Jesus and who he's going to show himself to be. There's also a question here. A question that would have been bouncing through that crowd. So why are you following Jesus? What have you seen and experienced while it's going along? I see Bartimaeus over there. Are there more stories like that? What's your story? How have you been encountered by the Messiah? How has your life been impacted by this Jesus who claims to set all things right and to make all things new? For some of us, we might not find ourselves at the point of telling the story, but of longing for the story. Bartimaeus got his sight back I've got the struggle I need help with. I need saving yet. I need you to show up and make me right, God. We long for Jesus to ask us that question that he asked Bartimaeus, what can I do for you? We want that question asked of us. And many, if not most of us, have an answer ready to go. This is what I need, Lord. The invitation And the question, will we join Jesus on this journey to Jerusalem? And what will we experience and see? And what stories will we hear and encounter along the way? Hosanna, the king is coming. Bethphage and Bethany were on the the edge of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is about two or three kilometers outside of Jerusalem. They've been traveling all day. This is one day's journey from the edge of Jericho where Jesus healed Bartimaeus, obviously in the morning, because it takes a full day's walk. It's 24 to 30 kilometers, depending on the route you take, to walk from Jericho to Jerusalem. And as they're walking along, they come to the Mount of Olives, and that Mount of Olives is on a hill from which you can begin to see the city. It's where the crowds would be seen. Those sitting in Jerusalem would see the crowds coming over that hill and they go, ah, the festival is at hand. The crowds are coming. Do you see them? It's a very visible place. And when Jerusalem is in sight, Jesus comes along and says, it's time. Go get the colt. Go get the colt that's been prepared. Bring it back to me. And Jesus gets on it to begin riding into the city. There's a couple things significant with this text and what Jesus is doing here. One is, there was a tradition that goes way back into the Old Testament that if you were physically able to walk into Jerusalem for one of these festivals, especially with the Passover festival, you were expected to walk. It was an act of humility and penance. It was a way of saying, God... I come before you without any pomp and circumstance. I come before you as I am. And all the people, especially the men in the community, were expected to walk. So for Jesus to get on a colt and ride into the city was a declaration, a proclamation of something that he was more significant than what was happening in that Passover festival. He had a right and authority and a position that no one else in the crowd had. But there's something else 
it refers to the cult, and the cult is really a, a fulfillment of a prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9. I want to read just a couple verses from that. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Prophecy has two pieces. One, Jesus is going to come in. This Messiah is going to come in riding on a colt. It's an, it's an announcement, a way of signifying to Jerusalem, this is your king, this is the Messiah. But it is such a different story than all the other kings who have marched into Jerusalem. The Roman leaders would have ridden in on stallions, on big horses, with all sorts of military might around them. Jesus, the king, rides in on a donkey with no military might. And in fact, if you read and pay attention to that Zechariah passage, the promise is that as the king comes in on his donkey, it will bring an end to war and to the instruments of war. That this king is going to come in in such a way that he's not taking over Jerusalem by might and power of the, of the world around them. But he's coming in as a king of peace that will establish a whole new order. His rule will extend to the ends of the earth. This no longer is a king just for Jerusalem. This is a king for the whole world. Hosanna, the crowd begins to shout. They're referring to another text that comes out of Psalm 118. And that phrase, Hosanna, was initially a, peti a petition, a prayer of petition. Hosanna means, Lord, save us. But as the people begin to pray that prayer, it, its prayer transitioned from a petition to a proclamation. Lord, who saves us? It was a declaration, and it was supposed to be said not just by the people of Israel, but through the Psalms you find Hosanna being extended to the ends of the earth. Hosanna in the highest, the sense of, of God's praise and the Lord being the one who saves, going to the ends of the earth, and the people recognize what's happening. They recognize the blind seeing. And they recognize Jesus riding on a colt, and they break out with this messianic psalm, this praise and honor. Lord, save us. Hosanna. Psalm 118, this is what they're quoting. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. This is where we get the palm branches from, too. That's why it was significant that they started laying those branches down. That's why it's significant this is happening at the Day of Atonement because it's the festal procession. It's that leading into Jerusalem with the crowds around. 
And it ends in the temple, the horns of the altar. Hosanna, the king is coming. There's an invitation here, an invitation for us to recognize Jesus as the returning king who saves us. This is what the rest of the crowd was starting to see. This is what they were coming to realize. Jesus really is the Messiah. He is the one who has come to set us free. He is the one who is coming to bring peace and shalom and make everything right. Question, in what ways do I, do you, do we, and the communities we are a part of need Jesus to save us? I mean, that's part of what's going on. Part of this is an invitation to begin praying that prayer ourselves. Lord, save us. Lord, help us. Lord, rescue us. Lord, bring your kingdom. Sean said simply, some days we, we don't know what to pray for a place like Brazil. And so we pray, Lord, your kingdom come. That's part of this Hosanna prayer. Yes, Hosanna, yes, the waving palm branches, but Hosanna, Lord, save us. Are we willing to go there on our way to Jerusalem with Jesus? And finally this. It's important to note that the crowd doesn't go to the temple with Jesus that night. The text says it's already late. It's as if Jesus has walked into the temple by himself and found it empty. It's a sudden transition in the text that the, the crowds that we're traveling with are no longer with him. And he's standing in the temple alone. The king has returned. He's returned to the place where you would expect to find God the king ruling over his people in the temple. Only no one's there. It's a recognition of the long history of the people of Israel. All the way back in the time of Samuel, as Samuel was leading the people and he was getting old and the people said, we want a king, we want to be like the nations around us. We want a king to rule over us. And Samuel tried again and again to talk them out of it. And they said, no, we want a king, give us a king. God said to Samuel, they're not rejecting you, Samuel. They're rejecting me as their king. We catch a little glimpse of that here again the king the king the crowds were recognizing on the way to Jerusalem is standing in his throne room in the temple next to where the holy of holies would be God's presence in the flesh and no one recognizes him throughout the week ahead Jesus the king would bring his confrontation directly to the Jewish leaders. Again and again, he would confront them and essentially say to them, the status quo religion that you have been maintaining is no longer acceptable. It's no longer going to be tolerated. There will be a place for the widows in my temple. There will be a place for the foreigners in my kingdom. There will be a place for people to receive mercy and grace. And if you read through the rest of Mark's story again and again Jesus is confronting the Pharisees and the Sadducees and saying I am king come follow me turn to me 
And the religious leaders say, no, 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 no. And in fact, they know nothing can stay the same. And you hear the rhetoric picking up to the point where they begin to plot to kill Jesus. It ends with his arrest. Somewhere during the night of Monday, Thursday, heading into Good Friday. And after bringing all sorts of witnesses to try and condemn Jesus and prove that, that he's somehow causing a riot and somehow causing all sorts of things to go wrong, the high priest finally says, enough of this. Are you the Messiah? Point blank question. And Jesus, who all week long has been demonstrating and showing people that he is the Messiah, God's promised one, finally says simply, I am. He makes himself known. And when he does, the people said, no. We don't want you as our God. That's what lies ahead this week. His crucifixion, his death, his burial. Next week, his resurrection. But before we get there, another invitation. An invitation to enter this story in Mark's telling of the gospel this week. I encourage each of us here to read Mark 11 through 16. Read it multiple times this week. Take it in small bits and pieces, doesn't matter, but get into the text. Listen to this story as Jesus shows himself again and again to the people that he is the Messiah, the promised one, who's come to save us, who's come to make all things new, who's come to make us new, who's come to bring an end to the violence and the war and the ways of this world. Come see Jesus as God in the flesh. Read the story this week. But a question, as we read this story, to keep this question coming in front of us, how will Jesus' revelation that he has come to reclaim his rightful place as king over everything change the way you and I live today? This story, this journey from, from Judea all the way through Jericho, all the way into the temple and around Jerusalem is a story that is filled with little stories of people whose lives are being changed by the presence of Jesus Christ as they come to recognize him as the Messiah. And the invitation for us and the question before us as we read this story and enter with the crowds into it is how will our lives change? as we come to hear this claim that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's pray. It's quite a story, Lord. The lives that were changed along the way as you walked in the flesh if only we could see you as clearly and as well as blind Bartimaeus who cried out for you to have mercy who recognized you as, as the son of David the promised Messiah will you give us eyes to see this week who you really are 
that you are God in the flesh, that you have come to save us and to make all things new, to bring an end to the violence and the war and the the destruction of the world around us. You have come to change our lives. Help us, Lord. We need you to save us, to make us whole and holy, to make us and everything around us new. Make yourself known to us. We might call on your name and we might be saved. That the whole world might come to know you. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, this we pray. Amen.